On Sunday, July 16, 1939, two men drove from Manhattan out to the forked tip of Long Island. They rolled onto Nassau Point, a pretty, quiet peninsula of summer cottages, beaches, and sailboats that poked out into Little Peconic Bay. They stopped and asked a few people for directions to an address on West Cove Road. No one recognized it. Then they asked a boy if he knew where Professor Einstein's cottage was. Oh, sure, the kid replied and pointed them the right way. The two men were the physicists Leo Zillard and Eugene Wigner, both Hungarian-born refugees from Nazi Europe. Their visit with Albert Einstein this sunny Sunday afternoon was the first step in America's atomic bomb program. As the Nazis and fascists clamped down on Europe and imposed not only anti-Semitic but anti-intellectual regimes, many of the best scientific minds fled to America. Albert Einstein, the most famous of them, sailed from Germany to California, where he was a guest lecturer at Caltech in December 1932. By March 1933, when he and his wife Elsa were supposed to sail home, Hitler was in power. Einstein never set foot in Germany again. In October 1933, he and Elsa settled in Princeton. After Elsa died in 1936, he became reclusive, dividing his time between Princeton and rented summer cottages out on Long Island. Einstein was in his early 50s when he relocated, and his important work was behind him. Most of the other physicists who came from Europe in the 1930s were younger. Leo Zillard was born in Budapest in 1898. In 1921, he went to the University of Berlin, where Einstein was on the faculty. Through the 1920s, they often partnered on patenting inventions, ranging from a refrigerator to the cyclotron. Zillard fled Germany for England in 1933. In January 1938, he arrived in New York City, where he was hired by Columbia University. In Berlin, Zillard had become a friend of another brilliant Jew from Budapest, Eugene Wigner. Wigner first came to America in 1930 to lecture at Princeton and stayed when Hitler rose to power. Hans Bethe, son of a university professor, was raised Protestant, but was Jewish on his mother's side. He stayed on in Germany until 1935, then accepted a position at Cornell. The night he arrived in America, he walked all around Manhattan, soaking it in. Edward Teller, another Hungarian Jew, got his PhD at Leipzig under Werner Heisenberg in 1930. He left Germany in 1933 and came to America in 1935. Enrico Fermi was a native of Rome, where he did groundbreaking work in nuclear physics that pointed the way to fission. In 1938, Italy adopted the first of its race laws, aimed mostly at Jews. Fermi's wife was Jewish. That year, the Fermis traveled to Stockholm so that he could receive the Nobel. They did not go back to Rome. In January 1939, they stepped down off an ocean liner in New York City, where he had a position waiting for him at Columbia. Along with Europeans like Zillard and Fermi, 
the Columbia faculty boasted some great American scientists, like Isidore Rabi. He had grown up speaking Yiddish on the Lower East Side, so steeped in the Old World that he found out the Earth circled the sun only when he read it in a library book. He joined the physics faculty at Columbia in 1929. Another New York native would be associated above all others with atomic research. Born in 1904, J. Robert Oppenheimer grew up in an apartment that took up the entire 11th floor of 155 Riverside Drive at West 88th Street with a panoramic view of the Hudson. His father, a German Jew, had come to America with no money and no English and was prosperous in textiles by the age of 30. His mother was a delicate and refined artist from Baltimore. They were representative of the Upper West Side's assimilated secular German Jews. Their son Julius styled himself J. Robert to sound less Jewish. As a child, he was brilliant, sickly, and ethereal. Surrounded by servants, petted and doted on by his loving parents, he rarely played with other kids. Instead, he did things like collect minerals. He'd remain aloof, studied, and a bit arrogant for the rest of his life. He raced through Harvard in three years, devouring knowledge in huge gulps, not just science, but philosophy, poetry, and world religions. From there, he went to Cambridge, and from there to the University of Göttingen in Germany, where some of the best scientific minds of the century were exploring the realm of quantum physics. Oppenheimer was a star by the age of 25. Harvard, Caltech, and UC Berkeley all offered him lecturing positions. He accepted the latter two, splitting his year between San Francisco and Los Angeles. In 1922, hoping to improve Robert's health, his father had sent him for a summer to a dude ranch near Santa Fe, New Mexico, and he got his first sight of the area called Los Alamos. Five years later, his father bought him and his younger brother Frank a cabin and some land there. They named it Perro Caliente, hot dog. Two weeks after the Fermis arrived in New York in 1939, the physicist Niels Bohr came from Denmark with the news that the German scientists Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann, following up on Fermi's work, had split the nucleus of the uranium atom by bombarding it with neutrons, nuclear fission. The news hit physicists in America and around the world like a thunderclap. Leo Zillard was in bed with a high fever when he heard the news. He instantly saw the possibility that fission might lead to an atomic bomb. A handful of others drew the same conclusions. Oppenheimer was making the first crude drawings of a uranium bomb within a week of hearing the news. Gazing thoughtfully out a window at Columbia's campus, Fermi had quietly cupped his hands as though holding a baseball and told a colleague, a little bomb like that, and it would all disappear. By April, the Associated Press was reporting that the debate among physicists was not whether a uranium bomb was feasible, but how big a bang it would make. Enough, the article asked, for blowing up 
a sizable portion of the earth, or just to wreck as large an area as New York City. Zillard, Fermi, Wigner, Teller, they were all deeply alarmed by the thought of Nazi Germany developing such a weapon. They were convinced that the Allies must begin research and development immediately. But the United States in the spring of 1939 was not one of the Allies. It was neutral by law and Americans were almost unanimously isolationist in opinion. Zillard felt it would take more than a gaggle of scientists, many of them Jews from Europe, to budge the country. It would take the most famous scientist in the world. When Zillard and Wigner met with Einstein that summer, Sunday afternoon, he was spending his summer happily sitting on the beach, he could not swim, playing his violin and fiddling with his small sailboat. Zillard was startled to discover that Einstein had not yet thought about the explosive potential of uranium. He agreed to help alert the government. That same week in Manhattan, Zillard met with Alexander Sachs, a distinguished biologist and economist who was also a vice president at the giant investment firm Lehman Corporation. Born in Lithuania in 1893, Sachs had come to New York City at the age of 11. He was friendly with Franklin Roosevelt and told Zillard that he could put a letter from Einstein in the president's hand. Einstein's letter went through a few drafts, Einstein writing in German with Zillard, Teller, and Sachs all contributing and translating. It was ready by mid-August. Then Hitler invaded Poland on September 1st, and FDR's appointment calendar was filled to overflowing. Sachs finally got into the Oval Office on October 11th. Roosevelt didn't actually read the letter Einstein and the others had labored over. Instead, he just chatted with Sachs over brandies. But he got the gist that what the scientists wanted, as he put it, was to see that the Nazis don't blow us up. With the president's go-ahead, a committee on uranium met 10 days later. It included Sachs, Zillard, Teller, Wigner, and an army and a Navy officer. The military men were skeptical, but they grudgingly granted a few thousand dollars so that the Columbia physicists could do small-scale experimenting. With so little government support, progress was slow. At Columbia, Fermi and Zillard investigated the explosive potential of uranium. Meanwhile, scientists at Berkeley created a new element, plutonium. The isotope plutonium-238 could also be used in weapons of enormous power. Otherwise, nothing much would happen with atomic research in America through 1940 and 41. The real work wouldn't start until after December 1941, when the Japanese woke the sleeping American giant by bombing Pearl Harbor.